0: bigger podcast series, a series that investigates the mysterious decline of Australian Rugby Union. It's a fan's journey into the void to pick up the pieces of Australian Rugby Union and find a path forward to fortune and glory. I'm your host and humble rugby servant, Matt Durrant, and I welcome you back to the podcast. It's been a few weeks uh, in in between drinks. Uh, There have been a few things going on. A lot of things with the film, which I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting until I can give you some, some more information on when it's going to come out, but uh, we're getting closer, we're getting a lot closer. Uh, I'm going to ho- I am hope I'm going to make up for the interval with today's interview, which is uh, a long one, but also I think a very fruitful one. Um, I, I reached out to this fella on, on social media and he answered straight away and was more than happy to come and, and have a chat. His name is, of course, Dan Leo, and he's a, well, former Samoan international, uh, born New Zealand, uh, moved to Australia, and also played rugby uh, for the Reds at at one point in time, uh, before he embarked on his international career, both for Samoa, but also playing in in England and France for, you know, some of the the most well-known teams in in international rugby, Wasps, London Irish, uh, Bordeaux, Perpignan, and... um, since retirement, though, he's moved into player advocacy. He's currently the director of the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare that supports professional and semi-professional rugby players of Pacific Island heritage. And, of course, last year, he was the star of a sports documentary called Oceans Apart, Greed Betrayal and Pacific Island Rugby, which was just quite, quite astounding because it really did pull back the curtain on, on the darker side of, of the game they play in heaven the film is out in the UK it's on Amazon Prime uh, around the world it's available on Vimeo and you can in fact go to the website and and probably find out some more information about where it is available but it's it's worth not just for rugby fans but anyone that's interested in in sport and the Pacific island culture and you know where we are today so I truly am fortunate to have a rugby filmmaker <laughs> And a very famous one at that, uh, joined me on this rugby filmmaking podcast. So here's Dan in Brisbane. I'm in London and I was having a chat about uh, a fair number of things. Thanks for having me mate. Brilliant. Pleased to be here. You're in Brisbane, but you have obviously traveled a long, you know, you've traveled all around the world. What, what actually feels like home to you these days? Oh, that's a good one,
1: eh? That's a really that's a really tough one. I mean, I, f- I feel where home, you know, as the old saying, "Home, home's where the heart is, where the family mm. is. So, um, you know, I've moved around uh, enough places to be able to pack home up in suitcases and take it with me. Um, yeah. So def- definitely here now in Brisbane. Um, yeah, I've, I moved back here seven months ago uh, from the UK. Yeah. Um, uh, released Oceans Apart, the film that you mentioned while we were here. Um, while we were quarantining in Sydney. And then I've come back straight back into the uh, special needs sector, as you said. So working um, one-on-one as a carer with uh, with uh, a young man with um, a quadriplegic who is actually a mm. uh, tragic. Um, he uh, broke his neck playing uh, rugby league uh, for Cronulla. Uh, Cronulla. Oh, right. Um as a tw- as an under 20s player and mm-hmm. uh, so yes yeah, so it's just, it's a, it's um something that's quite close to my heart you know as a, as a former player myself makes me very thankful to um you know to have had the sort of career that I've had um and not have suffered that kind of injury um and, and sort of giving um something back but also in that player welfare role that I've been fulfilling in the last sort of six or seven years back in in England since I retired um very you know um a lot of crossover there as well so yeah mate mm-hmm. I uh, got my family here we're just think back to back well to Australian life and loving the uh, the sunshine and the warmth after uh, a good uh, 15 or 16 years in uh, in Europe. so <laughs> well
0: we're, we're, well I think we're crossing we're crossing paths with the, the the weather as we speak in in London now you've got still cold days but the sun's out just about everyone and and everyone's starting to come out of the woodwork with summer summer approaching. so um, <laughs> we, we, we need we need a bit of that because it's been a long, long winter. You do, you do, you know, and uh, make full credit, full
1: credit to you guys who have done another lock, you know, done these lockdowns through, uh, through the, through the English winter. That was one of the reasons why I came back and brought my young family back to Australia, just because, uh, you know, Touchwood, you know, was um, uh, the least affected place by COVID uh, that we could get back to, and I'm very uh, thankful for that. uh, I I applied for Australian citizenship uh, all those years ago. Well, my mum, my mum did, but um, (laughs) I'm definitely benefiting from that now. I've
0: I've heard you talk about that in the past because you moved over. You, you followed your parents from New Zealand, um, and and you sort of described on a, another podcast I listened to how, how that actually wasn't a very hard decision for you at the time.
1: Nah, no, nah, that was that was an easy one, mate. You know, you, you grew up in a place like uh, South Auckland. Um, you know, it was uh, wasn't the flashiest of places. You know, I, I think the most, the most, uh, the most scenic, the most scenery I've seen in New Zealand is uh, from watching Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> and that trilogy, mate. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty different from uh, I think if you watched Once or Warriors, that's probably more akin to to my uh, to the scenery of my, my, uh, my childhood, mate. So, chalk <laughs> and cheese. So, yeah, now, very thankful to be here in a, in a place like uh, we're actually on the Gold Coast here. Mm. Um, and uh, mate uh, yeah we we are really yeah. blessed and uh it's a very uh to be here in, uh, in australia uh, particularly given the uh the, the um the uh the worldwide uh situation at the moment
0: mm. it's funny you mentioned onceful warriors my the club i played at in perth um we had a, a strong kiwi and maori um continue probably one of the biggest ones in in the state and when I was young, I used to go and watch the games. And I, it was only until I saw Once for Warriors that two things made sense. One was the fact that our clubhouse had um, stand-up tall bar tables, because I'd never seen those those anywhere else. And the other was just the amount of singing that I'd hear coming from the, the change rooms and the clubhouse. Um, it all made complete set. The rest of the movie thankfully, was nothing like our, um, our clubhouse. but yeah, I just remember those sort of two things about just rugby culture in New Zealand and, and, and that area that, that and for me as a young you know Anglo kid growing up in Perth, it was the Rugby club that was my first exposure to other cultures and, and other ways of life.
1: Yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. You know, um, that, that was that was exactly the same for me coming from New Zealand to uh, to, to, to Australia. I was 18 years old, and um, you know, I didn't know know a soul here, um, and just went straight down to uh, to to the East Rugby Club here in Brisbane, mm. and, um, and and made a family straight away. Um, and, you know, we were, you know, just that's, that's the beauty about rugby. It just transcends, uh, nationality, uh, ethnicity, uh, religion, um, mm. to the point where, you know, you, you, gain respect for, you know, for what you put into the, into the team and into your teammates. And that's, that's, that's the beauty, as I said, the beauty of the sport, um, and why it's so uh, important that we, that we protect those values, Matt.
0: Mm. So let, let's start by talking about oceans apart. So for anyone listening and I'll, I'll try not to put any spoilers, but. I imagine a lot of a lot of people i've talked to have already seen it so um we, we should talk about a bit what's in it but it's uh, in the uk it's available on amazon prime and i know in australia and other parts it's available on um vimeo um are there any other sort of um uh, ways of that, that people can can watch it around the world um we've just we've
1: just signed the uh the rights to uh j sports uh tv in uh in japan Brilliant. and um and uh, we're just we're currently in discussions with Stan and uh, ABC, Australia. You know, also ABC Australia. ABC Australia have got international rights as well throughout all the Pacific, uh, yeah. which they, they look at broadcasting, which is really important for us. Um, we want um, our our Pacific communities to know what the challenges are as well, um, mm. as just educating the uh, you know the the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's been it's been really well well received so far, as you said. Um, Pretty pretty low key in terms of the the uh, distribution. It's only available on on Amazon mm. at the moment, and in, and uh, in, uh, the UK and the US. But um, mm. yeah, just in those small markets that we've already um, released, it's been really really well well picked up.
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah we have, oh, we'll it's, have it's got it's got great ratings and um, following on on Prime in the UK. You know, just you look at the number of people that have commented and responded, which is always a good sign of of, of strong viewership yeah
1: we are um, totally new to this um I, i've never never uh delved into uh, production uh before um i never dreamed uh you know even even 2 or 3 years ago that i'll be um you know releasing a, a documentary but um, um my heart was was with pacific island rugby and we it was um, uh, brought brought our attention uh, probably mm. 3 or 4 years ago that the um you know the challenges that we face um, we really needed to highlight those and um, and raise the awareness uh to the international rugby public if we were to ever um Experience and, and, and push for the, the positive change that we needed. So that's probably the, the driving factor behind um, behind uh, starting the, um, the the long sort of three or four year process that we took to, to making the documentary. Um, and, and as you probably know, Matt, you know, with with, with filming, it's um, there's lots of twists and turns uh, that, that that it takes along the way. We didn't wouldn't have any idea where we wanted to go with it at first. I think it was it was, it was when we first spoke about it but between me and, and one of my colleagues, um, it was very much um, to be a film just outlining the stories. And it was just going to be, wasn't even going to have a narrator. I wasn't going to mm. be involved at all. Um, it was just about, it was going to be a, a, um, a, a collation of um, of stories, just players telling their stories. Um, but Very quickly, we realized actually this needs to be, there's something bigger here. Actually, we've got a chance here to outline. Um, and actually, as I said earlier, Affect some change, positive change for the participants. To, to, to you know, to hopefully affect those individual stories um, and 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 make them better for you know, and not have to accept some of those stories. You know, particularly the stories of tragedy and despair um, five, five or ten years down the track.
0: Yeah, is I mean, you certainly did get a fantastic thread throughout the whole thing. And like, what 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 I think I really just engaged in when I first watched it was this this. It was this journey this you know guerrilla filmmaker former rugby player with obviously your support around him just embarking off into the world and you have sequences of sort of rugby clubs in england and then waiting rooms in airports and you know in a car on a bus searching for people to talk to and then on a plane and, and we're in the pacific and you know you, know, you d- dive deep into the the islands and all that they have to sort of to show and 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 so it is this it is this this is a great journey it's a great story and a great journey and it's obviously your journey which obviously i think that the danger with some documentaries is they just become a bit sterile because you're just hearing people talk whereas this is well and truly us following you know your perspective on on what you've sort of experienced so you know it's it's very generous sometimes for you to for people to to provide that insight and provide that level of intimacy you know there's that scene where you and your dad are talking and we're sort of just sitting off off camera you know kind of voyeuristically listening to you but it's a great moment you know where he kind of gives you that that sort of fatherly advice
1: yeah that that one was probably the the toughest interview of all of them I'd say (laughs) and um, uh, you know it's just just approaching dad because anyone that knows Pacific Islanders you know they're very Backstage, They don't like, um, you know, I'd say, you know, 99% of us don't like to be in front of a camera, even myself raised in New Zealand and Australia, mm. I'm still, um, you know, I was a pretty unlikely person to, to be pre- presenting this documentary. Um, I still can't believe I did it, but um, definitely my dad, you know, being a generation, first generation um, a man from, from Samoa, uh, raised in the islands. Um, you know if, if i told him that you know hundreds of thousands of people were probably going to watch this documentary i think he probably would have uh wouldn't have agreed to to, <laughs> to be on camera for it yeah. but um but even just being able to take the cameras into my my home village back in samoa where um again you know there's um you know only only a couple of hundred years ago you know um Cameras were outlawed in, in Samoa because you right. know they, they were scared of them because they they felt you know they believed that uh, you know that cameras could suck your soul out of your out of your body. So there's a lot of taboo and uh, spirituality around uh, um, around the uh, Pacific Island customs and just the way that you've got to uh, approach the elders and the villages mm. before you can just rock up and and film. Uh, we had to be yeah mindful of all of that protocol mm. as well. But um, that's where my my personal and my background was um, you know because um, I. I at the start, when when we first discussed about this uh, and we're, uh, about doing this project, I was totally against presenting it myself. Mm. Actually, you know, um, you know, being a being a New Zealand-born someone, I thought, geez, you know, what 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 have I got to? See? You know, we we needed someone that was actually had been born and raised in the islands to do it. My, my initial thoughts were actually, you know, and, and also my profile I didn't have a profile, you know I wasn't the you know the most you know the the biggest name player in the world. I, I actually um, had pinpointed uh, Manu Tuilangi. Mm. Uh, english uh someone born uh, english center to you know to present the documentary and i was uh i had my head set around him him presenting it just thinking he'd be perfect but um but um it B- became quickly apparent that um you know we needed someone that had re- represented the uh pacific island team and um and who who better to to, to sort of present a project that you're working on than, than yourself you know um it would have been difficult um there would have been issues you know he wouldn't have been able to stay probably everything that yes. he wanted to say um because he's still a player and it's a lot you know a lot of the, the issues that we confronted uh, were quite um, not anti-anti-establishment or anti-rugby but you know they, they challenged that hierarchy
0: you have and, to have um, that we, truth we, in the documentary and i think that that yeah. independence you had just you know that that made that possible you're right it would be he would have been he would anyone in that position would have felt muzzled if you're still uh contracted to a You know, English, rugby, New Zealand, Australian, doesn't really matter. They would have had to sort of put restrictions. Yeah, so that
1: was that was one one of the difficulties, you know, just trying to get those the guys to open up around that, you know, particularly the current players, because um, as as I said, you know, they knew they knew my style, they knew that I wasn't going to that it was going to be a no holds barred um, Mm. uh, documentary, and so for them to attach themselves to that and actually um, give us interviews, knowing that it could possibly upset their uh, their employers, um, was a was a pretty uh, pretty tough ask, but um, full credit to them, you know, they they came
0: through, and it's. um, has and uh, continues to have the impact that we need it to have. What has been the general response from some of these member unions, particularly um some on uh rugby union and and, and of course the, the the chairman who is also the the prime minister of the country <laughs> yeah the um I mean it's it's a it's a
1: love-hate relationship that we've got uh, with the uh, with our with our Pacific unions. Um I think Fiji were particularly um uh, let's say pissed off with me because uh, and, and Pacific Welfare because we had openly called out their uh, nomination to the Exco committee, mm-hmm. uh, Francis Keane who was a, a convicted yeah. killer, who um, you know and, and 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 it's not don't get me wrong you know people make mistakes and people deserve second chances um, if they've if i have served the time that's the key thing but uh, um, the the real bugbear that we had had as an association was that uh, he had served. Uh, two months for, uh, for 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 murder um mm. and uh and the uh, president of the of the rugby union um and, and of, of fiji and of the rugby union had, had got him off the hook and he continued to make uh um, calls on on fijian rugby and players in particular that mm. um, that weren't for the right you know for the for, for the good of of the nation there and, and for the uh, for the players um so that was a difficult um difficult issue to uh to bring up without expecting repercussions mm. um but then you know we try and offset that Was some of the good that we do as, as an association as well so we recently sent um a couple of containers of uh of kit over to Fiji after the uh the recent cyclones there yep. and that goes a long way um to to healing uh some of the wounds you know and we don't want to be seen as um as enemies, you know ultimately we are pulling in the same direction as them even though it may not feel that we're doing it at the time because we want to we want to see what's right for, for them and we want to see Pacific Island rugby thrive. Uh, similar to Samoan, you know, challenging the uh Prime Minister um it was very difficult for me as a as a as a Samoan and you know my parents still living there at the time um you know my family still still there and um, a lot of them living on uh, government land. Um, Could be seen as uh, pretty as problematic, but um, yeah, I mean, Matt, it's 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 just one of those things that we've that you know I felt that was my conviction, and I felt you know because we've all got connections in the Pacific, we're such small places, you know, everyone's related to someone, everyone's got friends in high places, and if you're just constantly um, not going to say things to protect to to protect those people, then then nothing ever changes, and and we and I always felt strongly that um, if we're going to ask. You know the tier one nations to, to step in and help us out um, and help out tier two nations. Then we need to help ourselves first. If we're not helping ourselves first and foremost, then you can't help ask for help from other people and other and other countries. So that was yeah, that was the heart of it. And sometimes that takes a bit of pain, um, but yeah, thankfully, um, you know, with um, the support that, uh, that the film got, I think um, that that really helped. And the um, because um, the, the eyes of the world are on. The Pacific Islands now in our administrations to make sure that they're doing the right things. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, we've got social media these days, which keeps a lot of people uh, more honest as well. So uh That's right. the world's become a, a lot of the smaller places. There's, there's less places for uh, dishonest people to
0: hide. So yeah, uh, yeah uh, we, we keep pushing forward. It's interesting you mentioned Fiji because <clears throat> I guess, you know, as an outsider, you know, Aussie member of one of those tier one uh, nations, I think you often make that flawed assumption that people from certain regions or countries are all agreeing on one thing and they're all on the same page but obviously within the community the pacific island community there are there are differences of opinions on the way the way to move forward and is that something that you know you're continually trying to sort of you know work with uh you know other other players other teams clubs or the member unions it seems like a, a very hard though but because we just i feel like all we can do is sit back and watch and not not get involved unless asked to be involved.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, there's 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 always a temptation there to um to, to bandy the uh you know the, the three Pacific Islands together Samoa mm. Tonga and Fiji. The, the reality is is that the challenges for each of those nations is very very different. Um, so Fiji obviously sit at the top of the pile at the moment. You know, mm. um, highest highest ranking, uh, most of the targeted world rugby funding, and also the biggest population. Uh, bigger in- infrastructure. So really, I mean, traditionally we've always we've always sort of pulled together, and you know our, our struggles have been the same. But um, Fiji is, is sitting pretty at the moment. So something like um, eligibility, for instance, you know, for Tonga and Samoa, we'd love to see a change of uh, of rules, which would allow our um, you know some of our foreign uh, captured players. You know, we're talking about guys like Charles Pierto or. Mm stephen lord tour um, in an australian con- context you know um you know someone like obviously he's still playing but uh tanya latupo mm. in three or four years time if he or five years time where if he's not um aladore selected for australia maybe he'd he'd, be, he'd want to come back and play for tonga his nation of birth would love to see those rules pushed through mm. um but at the moment, there's 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 a fair bit of resistance to that from from Fiji. Um, obviously, they they're sitting at the top of the pile, as I said, um, and maybe if Samoa and Tonga were to be strengthened by bringing back four or five world class players, you know that that hierarchy could could change. So there's always this uh, internal agenda, um, mm. which, um, but also. Um, You know, just just the difference, you know, we've talked about three islands there. The Pacific Islands are made up of, you know, um, another 16 or 17 rugby-playing nations. You know, we're talking Niue, uh, Tuvalu, uh, New Caledonia, um, Mm. uh, the Cook Islands, uh, the Solomons, Papua New Guinea. These are all nations that need to, you know, know, need to be... um, um, developed and have a whole lot of potential in them that are yep. probably you know that's probably probably just untapped at the moment. Um, so so it's it's about doing what's right uh, for them as well as as they try and establish themselves and and, and move into that. Uh, you know, from tier three to tier two status, we always we we get focused on you know that top tier and everyone trying to break into tier one. But quite often we forget about those those nations, you know, that are trying to make that jump from tier three to, to tier two status. And actually, though, for me, those are the ones that we should be investing the most into, mm-hmm. because um, because uh, you know some of those countries are, are just you know, as I said, there's potential there, but not just um, plain potential, but financial. Uh, potential as well, which could really um, help um, drive drive the sport in the direction that we need. And we're hearing all these stories about how uh, you know how rugby's un- unsustainable at the moment, um, you know, in the way that uh, professionalism is going. But nothing's ever done to change that. Mm. Um, you know the um, the the top the top nations, the top competitions of those nations, the top fourteen. And the premiership in England are just allowed to basically continue raising their salary caps uh, unchecked um, to the point where, you know, um, know, um, no one else is, you know, and we're having to have these conversations around, uh, you know, the All Blacks in New Zealand having to sign away 15% of their rights. Now, uh, just just to be able to, to stay afloat, uh, let alone to you know to advance in, 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 in world rugby. Similar with Australia, and I know you've covered lots of these issues uh, yourself, Matt. But you know um, the situation that if you don't have a broadcaster, you know you're in, you're in dire straits. You know, let alone all the other issues. The, the beauty about the Pacific Islands is we've got the player base, and we don't have some of the other probably the other challenges that, that you guys have got as tier one nations um, in terms of. Um, you know, the 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 playing resources coming through the ranks, you know, and I, and I know that Australia in particular here I've, since I've been back, um, you know, it's and, and, and I went to my local club, Sunnybank, uh, Sunnybank Rugby Club, uh, last week. And 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 you know, there's there's been um just in the junior sections alone, um, there's been, you know, there's there's a lot less less players than when I left uh, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um so yeah um and there's a, there's a whole lot of there's there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, uh, which I'm happy to delve into if you if you'll if, if you'll entertain me, but yeah, uh, I, was, I was going to leave that to the end <laughs> because I wanted to, yeah, I definitely wanted
0: to I wanted to round off after we've talked about your stuff, get your your take on, on what's happened in Australian rugby. You you just cool. mentioned that, I mean, that's a really important point. I've never you never hear about or probably never enough people talking about the the, the tier three, let alone tier two countries. Um, and so obviously, you're your group your advocacy group um you you also do you support those those countries and you try to sort of help them as well is that part of the remit
1: yeah we do yeah so we just um yeah um uh we we we, we've been supporting uh, a number of players from those those countries Mm. uh, for a number of years but um yeah the um the exact same challenges that we're um highlighting uh to the world through three oceans apart that you know that the tier one nations you know hoarding a lot of the profits unfortunately it's the same for a lot of the tier two countries they don't want to they don't want to allow those tier three nations a, 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 a proper opportunity because they're worried about them losing their their spot in the pecking order as well yeah and that's where that's that, that's where we've got to be where, where we've got to be really careful here you know and i, I brought up eligibility um as an, as an instance, and I said, you know, the res, some of the resistance that we've had in allowing to push our players to get some of those capped players who might have had a minimal amount of caps for Tier 1 nations to come back and play for yeah. some. time. Some of the strongest resistance we've experienced is actually from Fiji, one of our closest yeah. neighbours. And, you, yeah. you know, and actually that's that's exactly the same mentality that the Tier 1 nations have, a, have uh, having against us you know we're asking them to share their profits and do what's right for the uh, you know for the bigger picture and for the for the world game but actually if we're not doing that for the, for those that are below us and there's Hundred, you know, hundred or two hundred uh, tier three nations below us. If we're not yeah. promoting their their chances, then we're as bad as the tier one nations. Um, and that's where we've got to be. Where we've got to be honest. We've got to be careful and just, you know, look retrospectively um, at um, you know at the policy that's coming through and not just go for short term gains, but look at the wider implications that some of the things that we're pushing for are having on the game.
0: Your 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 group is the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare Group. I know there's a bunch. There's 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 other player unions around the world and there is also the pacific rugby players which is formerly PIPA. are you your your point of difference is you guys are just truly independent and that's sort of what you sort of stress is that you can try and say things and push forward things without any any conflict of interest
1: yeah exactly so we're one we're one of two uh Players' associations now that are yeah. uh, fully fully independent. We were the first that were fully independent of World Rugby funding and mm. national union funding. So, if you, for instance, the uh, Rupa here in Australia is uh, um, comes under the collective bargaining agreements and funding, and, and, and you know most of their funding comes from uh, from Rugby Australia. Mm. So it's very difficult as a, as a players' association, or you know, or any. I don't know if you if you if there's any other workers' unions. Who are funded by the the industry that they represent themselves? Mm. Um, it's, it's something that's pretty unique to to sport. Uh, the difficulty being is that uh, when it comes to rugby, all of if you if you if you if, if when you grow to a certain level you have, you've got to go to world rugby funding because that's where all the funding lies. Yeah. So um so we yeah so we've tried to take to, to shift things into a different model. We're just not in a position as the Pacific Islands where we can we can accept that you know we can we can't be slaves to our um, to our paymasters in terms of um, the agendas that we're pushing. Um, the you know things that we're advocating for. So that was the big the big difference. I think uh the USA Players Association, which has recently been formed, are the second uh and that's Again, because um, you know, professional rugby is right at the infancy, yeah. and, um, and and they're probably not uh, got yeah. the, the conditions that they need just yet from the MLR, but they're yeah. pushing for that. So yeah, so so for us, it's only it's only a, a strength. Obviously, the difficulty comes the funding, um, you know, and and um, but we're we're, we're lucky in, in in the Pacific rugby players' welfare context that we're strongly supported by the the rugby public, which yeah. um and uh, which basically funds all of the projects that we do. Uh, we're not yeah. We're we're not 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 dependent on uh, on uh, the on the governing bodies. who we're trying to you know push for better conditions from.
0: And it's interesting. I mean, if you look at the history of rugby, especially rugby union, you know, even when our league was formed, it was and then when professionals have it was player led revolutions that probably were the the driving changes. Do you, do you foresee another type of player revolution in the context of what you're pushing that that may that may you know work to again sort of drive for more positive change and sort of even the playing field.
1: Yeah, definitely. As you say, you know, um, um, you know, you look at in the English context. We, we our, our organization was born in in England, um, you know, and, and that was where we, that was where I was playing at the time, and a number of us that set up the the organization were, were based. And um, you know, we were inspired by what the England team did in the uh, in the ninety in the uh, uh, mid nineties. Um, you know, um, pushing for 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 a profit share mm. uh, for the players split from their own union, and they were very, you know, they were they were very much hated at the time from the from the RFU for that. You know, and there's stories of uh, you know uh, Lawrence Nalaglio and, and co coming down, and you know after a test match, after after playing against Argentina, and you know the the their own board members not shaking hands with them and changing them afterwards because they'd made the stand. But um, yeah, nothing nothing comes easy, Matt. You know, um, if we're looking for an easy way out as the Pacific Islands, uh, it's never going to happen. Look at look what happened in rugby league. It took it took uh, three or four high profile players to to come across to Tonga. And mm-hmm. to say no to, you know, to, to the big to the biggest salaries of Australia and New Zealand. Uh we're talking about guys like Jason Tomololo and uh, uh Fafita um that came across and, and actually um changed the, the the landscape there. Um, you know, and, and now look where Tonga is, you know, to the position where now they're they're in the top three, three or four nations in the world uh in rugby league. And that's what what I I believe we need to we need to get to in, in rugby union, you know. Um, We've got enough players. We've got enough player power, but we just need to realise the um, you know the the strength that we've got, the influence yeah. that we do have on this game because uh, the games the game is uh, yeah propped up by uh, Pacific Island muscle and a lot of and uh, a lot of these competitions at the moment. And well, um, you know you take yeah. you take that, those guys out of it, mate, and <laughs> it'll be a different different sport. Well, the professional
0: game is mate. The players are the assets, right? So, and you know, you made a I read something, and I actually had a. A journalist, um, Jeff Parks, on the pod, who'd written a book, and he actually devotes quite a big chapter to a lot of what the issues that you um, you've sort of brought about in the film. But you know, he made the point, and I think you also did that about seventy to eighty percent of the player wealth in the rugby world is in the UK. It resides in two two areas: the UK and France. Maybe now Japan is starting to eat into that share. Um, but I guess sort of what part of my question is what what can be done. To work against that power imbalance when um it really is, you know, clubs and and not so much rugby, world rugby that that hold that power and hold that that wealth.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's a tough one. That gets right to the crux of why we made uh, oceans apart. I think um it's the it's the members of those unions that we need to be able to um you know to empower. Um, educate and empower. So the um, you know the players, the fans that turn up and stand on the sidelines, and you know and are on those fields uh, week in week out, they are the ones that those that uh, those those clubs are reflective of. Mm. So if we can win hearts and minds there. Um, that's you know it's it's basically you know we, our hope is that that the uh, the message will make its way up the pyramid uh, mm. to to the, to the decision makers. Uh, we're obviously right at the start of that journey. Um, you know, uh, I think the, and the film's only one step, one one small part of that, that puzzle that we've got to take to do that. Um, yeah. But also, you know, um, you know, um, you know, we've got upcoming, you know, it's, I've just seen uh, today that it's been announced that uh, uh, Wales will host uh, Fiji. Yes. Uh, in in in, uh, in in the autumn internationals. Great news, you know, and, and 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 we hope that people go support them, But we need we need our Pacific Islands uh, to be strong. We need Fiji to, to put a good performance and not just Fiji, but we need Samoa and Tonga to continue to be uh competitive on that world stage. Because the you know the better they're doing in terms of their performances, um, the stronger our cases is uh, you know for more investment and uh yeah. and better, you know, increased uh and more beneficial um you Know laws that you know that benefit us, so it's it's too it's, it's it's really two pronged, really. Um, also, you know, just yeah, but for me, it's it's that it's that uh, mobilizing that public, you know, and and you know, um, every person that I've met in the uh, either you know, at a rugby club or you know, fans of the game as a player and now as a as a spectator and as a as a father of a young a child who's, who's starting his rugby journey, um, everybody wants to see. The Pacific Islands do well, and is mm. uh, you know, and has an affinity with us. So it's about it's about harnessing that now and really pushing that to the point where that that it's not just player power; it's actually a collective of the of the rugby public that actually push us through now. So that's yeah. uh, that's all we're hoping for.
0: Well, it's I was looking at the Wallabies' um, uh, perf- uh, performance against the Pacific Island Nations before this chat, and oh. it's I mean, it's actually quite remarkable how little rugby we have played. Um, as you said, Fiji seem to always be at the top of the list. And we've played them since 1952. We've played them 22 times. We've played Samoa six times in history. And we've only played Tonga four times in history. Five, if you account uh, include a game against Australia, A, eh? which is pretty remarkable when you consider the, the amount of games played against all the other nations in the world. And yet, you know, they're, they're our closest, well, they're part of Oceania, the region that we're in.
1: That's, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's that's, that's crazy. Maybe, maybe that will change. You know, maybe with uh, the introduction and of um, you know Moana Pacifica and Fiji draw and so Super Rugby, maybe the next logical step uh, from that is that we you know we establish a international program around that as well. Mm. Maybe a, a, five, a five nations between Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Australia, and New Zealand. You know, um, maybe you know, I, and I'm, I'm being optimistic here. Maybe. You know something as uh you know as much that's been as much of a curse as COVID could actually um, mm. prove to be, maybe in the Pacific context uh, one of our uh, our our best uh, our best allies. Um, Absolutely. Why not?
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, look one, one of one of the things. I mean, there was two things that occurred to me. There one was that the fact that obviously administrators who are running Rugby Australia are looking at um you know what are the games that are going to make us the most money, and that's usually the games since the All Blacks trips to England to play against Twickenham, but. You know again like has there been enough thought about how to you know benefit obviously these nations but also turn a profit because you know you do have good populations of pacific islanders in 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 australia and um yes. i know and so you know it actually also brings me on to the point which we should talk about which is one of the uh, one country's um pain is another country's pleasure the famous 2011 win uh, in Sydney, uh, by by uh, Manu Samoa against um, the Wallabies. You know, you how did that feel? Because you were part of that game, and uh, what a moment that was!
1: Yeah, mate. No, this definitely goes down as one of the best memories of my uh, playing career. You know, particularly mm. my, my first my first game for Samoa was against the Wallabies mm. in 2005, and we lost that game 73 to seven, I believe. Mm. Um, and so, to go back, you know, sort of six or seven years later and and and, uh, and, and beat them it was uh yeah pretty un- incomprehensible given that you know we lost by 70 points in the, the match before mm. um but yeah no fantastic man and, and as you say you know that we you know we were we, we were we were cheered on that by a relatively small i don't think any of our someone crowd believed that we were in for a chance at well because we, we lost the tonga the weekend before that mm. um so everyone had written us, us off um i remember it's probably the only game I've ever been at where the last 15 minutes of, uh, was, was actually, um, more, more busy. There was more of a crowd than the first, than the first 15 minutes. Usually everyone <laughs> leaves after 15, the Samuans, I think at halftime everyone had heard that we were ahead and, uh, yeah. all of the ones from, uh, took them, it took them about another half an hour to get across town, uh, to ANZ stadium that day. And so they all, Flocked in for the last ten minutes and uh, joined in the celebrations. So uh, yeah, that was probably history-making that way. But as yeah. I said, Matt, there's, there's just a massive Pacific Island uh, population that Australia rugby could be can be tapping into. You know, if mm. if you've watched the Tongan rugby league team play, mm. they yeah. will they will turn up if they know they have a chance. And that was exactly the same for us on that day. You know, no one gave us a chance to to, to beat the Wallabies, so our, our crowds hadn't turned out. If you if you pump in to, to the Tongan rugby union team. If you allow Charles Piotow, uh, Malachi Fikatur, I don't know, even maybe Izzy Falao, I know that's a bit of an out there uh, situation, different one, but uh, if you pumped in three world class players into that Tongan team to play against the Wallabies, yeah. I guarantee you Suncorp would sell out. Yeah, Uh, NZ Stadium, you know, any of those Sydney stadiums would would sell out. It's about raising the level of competition. At the end of the day, people don't care the eligibility. They don't care where players have been born or where they've been where they've been trained. They want to see a good competition and they'll turn up to see if they know that their team can win. And that's where I think, you know, Australian rugby, we we saw that in you know back in 2000 you know and i guarantee you you know and we saw even saw that the last time that Samoa played recently against mm. australia they got a really good they really got got a good turnout um based on you know the fact that people believe you know that we can yeah. that we can beat these teams um so you've got yeah you're sitting on a big uh it's a big it's a big potentially a big um um audience there but it's just about it's just about mobilizing that now and you mm. know um that For me, is uh, is the easy part of the equation if if you're willing to look outside of the the, the box.
0: I wanted to ask you about that because yeah, that last game between the Wallabies and Samoa was two, two, 2019. so obviously another World Cup here, um, like twenty eleven. But you know, do you are you aware of of the you know, the financial kind of arrangements around that? Was there a share of of the match fee? Were were Australia, you know, um, doing the right thing in terms of giving Samoans a chance to sort of Um, share or was it was that just a game that was again at cost to Samoa but part of their preparation for the World Cup obviously
1: yeah so yeah so that was that was again yeah there was there was no there was no uh, remuneration to the players Mm -hmm. that's 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 what we do know so uh, yeah the the Samoan tour agreement um, whenever you get selected for Samoa they make you sign a document that says you're willing to play for um basically for free and for a weekly a weekly allowance that's supposed to cover your uh expense your weekly expenses of, of a, a thousand uh i think it's a thousand two hundred new zealand dollars a week and so all of the players would have signed that so any anything that would have been signed um above that uh would go would go directly to the unions players wouldn't wouldn't uh, receive any of that um but even even that you know um is probably is, is, is highly doubtful There would have been because you know our unions aren't in a a strong position. You know, um, definitely Samoa and Tonga now because our our rankings are so low. Mm. Fiji are a little bit more box office now. They're um, they can probably command a bit more of a you know or they've got a bit they're in a stronger bargaining position. Um, But Samoa and Tonga are in a position where they can bargain at all because. Let's face it. If, if, if Samoa says no to that to that opportunity, then Australia Australia will just go to you know and say and ask Fiji or Tonga. So mm. they know that they've got they've got us over a barrel, and that's the same with all of the tier two nations. If If Romania turns down a, you know, or Georgia if Georgia turns down a, a test against uh, against England for nothing, then mm. um, then they'll just go and get Romania, or they'll get Italy, you know, um, or they'll get the Barbas. And so yeah. that's that's a really that's that's the that's the difficulty, is that you just you've just you've got no leverage as 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 smaller unions and that that for me is where it needs to be taken out of uh those unions' hands and the governing body needs to step in there and impede and say, look, we're gonna set them almost like a minimum wage um that we have in, in every first world country. Mm. Uh, to say, look, um if you're gonna if you're gonna pl- bring these players over, you're gonna if you're gonna play against them, if you're gonna sell out, you know, um you know, uh sixty or seventy thousand seater stadiums. If you're gonna sign multi-million pound uh uh distribution um broadcasting fees then a certain amount of percentage of that needs to go to those to those players to actually make it worth their while yeah. um, otherwise it's just you know glorified uh um slave labor isn't it um, mm-hmm. which is what I saw you know um we, when I was playing it was a thousand dollars New Zealand we were going you know that's that's for that's for a week so we were we were borderline um you know um minimum wage going over to places like like england um so that's that was yeah. where the difficulty was and it's not that you compare yourself you never you know you're just you're there to to, to, to perform and you know that mm. as players on the back of that you'll you you know if you play well in those under those circumstances you'll get um you know potentially get a good contract off the back of it that's the, that's mm. your incentive um but unfortunately that, that doesn't happen for everybody you know um and, and it still shouldn't be the case you know to say look um you know, to, to some of those those those, because and this is a an extreme example, but to use child labour in, in you know in the Philippines for an example for Nike, if you say, look if you sew really well, you might get it, you might get promoted to uh, Versace and get paid double what you are than what you're doing, you know that for Nike, but it's still under that, you know it's for me it's still um it's 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 not right, and we need to be better than that as a sport, particularly on a sport like rugby where we really. Um, pride ourselves on, on 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 our values and you know values like equality and sportsmanship
0: and fairness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know we've, we've got we've got to be better. Than that. Look, it is an absurd imbalance when you consider and you know the England are the, probably the top of the tree when it comes to player payments. If they get they get twenty 000 to twenty five thousand pounds a game and they're playing a team that get no, nothing, surely you could cut a, you know, each player could give their opposite number, you know, a few grand just to, you know, as a, hey, especially if they 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 win in Australia's case. I guess sort of what, what I've sort of, I guess kind of part of the, one of the realisations I've, I've, I've looked at in, in the journey that I've done about making my documentary is looking at the business of rugby and looking at Australian rugby and probably UK and other, and, and understanding how big and cumbersome these organizations have become so, you know, we look at it and go, well, they're making millions of pounds, but actually they're so costly now that they will squabble over having to cut one or 2% out of their match fee because they've just become so, so, so bloated as organizations. Um, you know, that it's crazy during COVID, you've got, I think the the rugby football union, trying to lobby the government here for a bailout and it's like, well, hang on a second, you know, how much money have you actually been making and and if and that's i think one of the big eye-opening things in australia is that you know the, that we know the game has been sinking backwards and certainly the bottom lines have have shown that but you know yeah they are still a million dollar uh you know turnover business so you know at what point do you need to sit back and start looking at the business model and going well actually this is not working we need to be self-sustainable and not reliant on on world rugby or or, or a Lions tour or, or hosting a world cup we should be able to mm. stand up on our own two feet and i think that's one of the concerns i've got at the moment with the game is that you know a game that's traditionally been run by a lot of bankers and people in the finance sector on boards yet you know they haven't been able to figure out how to turn the business of rugby into a better sustainable model
1: no you, you're exactly right matt um I think a good example of that is uh when I was I was uh right at the start of the uh of the Pacific Rugby players welfare journey um six or seven years ago. I went to I went to the Premiership Rugby and the, the uh the RPA there uh, in England and, and we were trying to get uh fifteen thousand, I think it was fifteen thousand pounds for them to invest into into a, uh to just have a part-time um uh player welfare officer to to service all the I think it was sixty-four players of pacific island heritage in the uh, in the um english premiership at the time and um they, they they made it so hard you know there was they just fought tooth and nail after, over every single every, every single penny they basically negotiated it right down to a to a role that was worth about uh 8000 pounds um that was all they were willing to invest and then and then they're putting you know they had three or four social media uh personnel that they're paying, you know, fifty grand each to um yeah. just to run the run the Twitter Twitter account, run the Instagram and all that sort of stuff. And um there's a lot of there's a lot of uh uh Incompetency, I think, there, and mm. when it comes to rugby administrations, um, but also, um, yeah, we 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 need we need to we need to demand better. Um, you know, um, there's a there's an age old saying that if you if you can't if you can't make it in business, you go into sports administration, <laughs> and um, you know, and that's um, that's the harsh reality yeah. is that a lot of people a lot of people are in cushy jobs there that couldn't 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 cut it in the business arena, and they're just sitting in our in our rugby unions. Mate, let's call us let's call a spade a spade mate and um you know and we need to we need to weed those people out because at, at the end of the day the ones that are paying for it are you and me the paying spectators are paying for you know are paying for that incompetency and um you know yeah it's a gentleman's sport and everything and yeah these 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 people may have been legends of the game and some in some terms in terms of their playing days but um you know um, we can't we can't sit on that we can't sit on our laurels and um you know um we need to be we need to be making strides forward and we can't be you know sitting back being worried about offending people mm. um you know it's um you know we we need to, we need to we have um there's, there's there's a lot of issues there, mate. As, as you yeah. said, um, yeah, I've, I've got no problem calling out people that you know that and those that they're in those positions in our own unions because we've seen that for too long. Where we are, you know, we when we're talking about Samoa, Tonga and Fiji being in those positions now, you know, mm. just um, jobs for mates and all the sort of stuff. Um, the position that rugby professional rugby is in at the moment, um, you know, we could be talking about Australia and New Zealand um, in the next couple of years unless things change. So yeah. um, you know, and that, that, so that's that's the importance of of, of this conversation, Matt. Is that um, you know those those top you know those some of those tier one nations, so called tier one nations, mm. aren't that far off. You know, if things don't change in terms of you know and pushing the you know some of the agendas that we, we're highlighting as tier two nations, then you know the, the next off the the next ones off the train some of those lower ranking tier one nations and um mm-hmm. you know even though new zealand are higher ranking um in terms of their population and their, and their and their um in their revenue they they aren't so it's in their best interest as well that um you know that um that things are that things are cranking at full capacity um, yeah, but definitely as a Pacific Islands, you know, you had corruption into that mix as well, makes um uh, you know, government interference uh there and uh and, and all of the cultural issues of um, you know, the hierarchical, you know, not wanting to question authority and your mm. elders and all that sort of stuff, but makes it a
0: heck of a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, let, let's talk about something that's positive. Obviously, the latest kind of news in this year is is the addition of the Fijian Ruin Moana. Pacifica to the super rugby tournament, whatever shape that takes um, next year. And I think what, what I'm sort of interested in and I'm, I'm hopeful is that not just those countries and, but also the region, you know, Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, everyone starts figuring out how can we create the best rugby product in the world and, and, and draw players, make players want to stay um, and, and hopefully increase the value of the competition so that, you know, it makes it, harder for guys to think well i'm going to go to england or uk or or i could maybe stay closer to home and that's why i think you know you're right this has been a long time coming in in terms of investing in the countries that have been (laughs) providing the, the the biggest share of players because if you want to look at it cynically as australia and new zealand well you should have been doing this years ago to create the best product because you keep these guys playing locally um you know, people are going to want to watch Super Rugby over Pro 14 or, you know, Gallagher Rugby because it's got all the it's got all these good players. So, <laughs> so the positives for me is that potentially we could be part of a, a competition that will, will grow and get better and better. But obviously the big positive is we've now got a professional pathway for players from Fiji, Tonga and, and Samoa.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I'm a massive fan of the uh, Fiji Druid. Um, competition, uh, sorry, uh, team that's been uh, into the Super Rugby competition that's been announced uh, out of Fiji. I just think um, you know that's again um, going to, and unfortunately, it's, it's going. I think I think it's going to grow grow that gap between uh, Fiji uh, and Samoa and Tonga. And um, with my, purely with my Samoa head on, I like to see us up there in that that Pacific ranking. But I think this is going to take them to to the next level in terms of being able to access their players, get those combinations that they need at test level, which is impossible to, to develop when you're just trying to bring guys back from France, uh, predominantly in England, and gel them together as a team, you know, one or two weeks out from a World Cup or a test nation. It's just impossible. Um, Unfortunately, I can't see those same benefits from the um, one, the second team, the one Pacifica team, uh, mm. having those uh, same that same impact on Samoa and Tonga. And saying that, you know, we're in a different position again, um, where we probably don't have the infrastructure that uh, Fiji has to be able to sustain our own Super Team. Um, so we do need to probably do joints at the moment. I mean, from again, from the, with my Samoa cap on, I'd love to see that that side that's being touted being as being. Uh, um settled and, and positioned in South Auckland. I'd love to see that long term being uh being in the islands, it's just yep. to be able to inspire our, our kids that are growing up in Sao and be them, you know, and, and um make that totally locally placed. And also mm-hmm. for our administrators to be able to have a hands-on um role in, in running that side so that they can make that step up to the international level and do that effectively because at the moment um, that's the problem. The problem. It's not a lack of players that we've got in- for Samoa and Tonga. It's a lack yeah. of um, of uh, of, uh, of ad- administrative acumen and um, and expertise. That's what that's what we're really lacking. So this, for me, that Moana Pacific team needs to be focusing on the development of of, of our management. You know, mm-hmm. um, the players, yeah, it's a bonus that we're not having to go over to Europe and and, uh, and or, or Japan or, or Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, we'll be closer to home. But for me, that the focus of that side has got to be on the administration and getting those guys up to scratch to be able to, you know, get their heads around um, the level re- required of professionalism that we just don't have at the moment because that's what's turning the players away. Um, you know, yeah, it's great to play in New Zealand and Australia But um, the the reason why players leave is because they know that they're going to get looked after better in those countries, um, you know, from a a professional um, capacity. So, so that's, that's what we need to, what we need to get around. Um, Yeah.
0: In terms Um, of player development, I mean, one of the biggest things I've been thinking about with looking at the way our, our structure is in Australia, but also other countries is it's great having one of these super rugby teams, but where do you draw them from? And are they coming through a, an academy structure? Is there a, a secondary team that sort of supports it? Is there a competition? Like, do, is, is, has Tonga and Samoa started to develop or is there plans to develop a support, like a feeder system of players? Because that obviously is one of the things that other countries and other, or certainly Australia and New Zealand are perhaps concerned about is they develop these guys through Shoot Shield, Queensland, uh, Premier Rugby, wherever, um, you know, minor 10. And then guys will just leave and go. And look, the irony of that is obviously quite hilarious, but obviously that's going to be something long-term that needs to be set up is to, to make these teams as good as can be by having uh, good good sort of professional pathways and academies so that they're, yeah. they're not sort of a, a hodgepodge of players from all around.
1: Yeah. No, you, you're exactly right. Um, you know, we, in the islands, in my experience, we don't have, probably have the drop-off um, from when you leave school and you go into senior, into senior rugby um, uh, clubs that you do. Um, uh, you don't have that drop off um, that you do in uh, New Zealand, Australia. Mm. I think that's mainly you know a lot a lot of that's to do with there's not many other options. You know, we just traditionally we haven't had the um, you know the options mm. um, when it comes to technology and all that. So what I'm amazed by now is just the uh, you know I've got I've got a young I've got a six year old who's just Starting his rugby journey here in uh, here in Queensland, and just the amount of um, uh, com- competition for his attention uh, mm-hmm. is uh, is unbelievable. You know, he's you know he's got access to. To piano practice, to gymnastics, to uh, surf, surf life saving club, to uh, scouts, to rugby, to soccer, to every other code, rugby league, AFL, there's just so many. So you try and spread them out, and um, they've got to make choices, and uh, there's just so much choice. And- Growing up in Fiji or in Samoa, you've got church and you've got rugby, <laughs> and 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 usually church is on Sunday, so and they don't clash. So you got yeah. rugby on Saturday and you go to church on Sunday. That's it, you know. PlayStation, nah, nah. you know. And that's 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 our that's our massive massive benefit in the islands. Mm. That's why that's why I think a lot of the uh, Pacific Island, you know, and Australia rugby is tapping more and more into Pacific Island talent. Mm. Is that even even with our, in our diaspora here in uh, Brisbane, um, you know, a lot of the Pacific Islanders are coming from low socioeconomic backgrounds, but they don't just have, they don't have that element of choice. So I think a lot of um, the, the the struggles for Australian rugby at the moment is just the, the situation of the country, you know, um, you know, you've, you've been, you're benefiting from years and years of uh, uh, prosperity and, and doing well as an economy. And that's created all of this choice. And, you know, rugby's got further and further down the, uh, you know, well, even if it hasn't changed, you know, there's just, you know, there's a lot, lot more competition for, for young yeah. people. Um, and on top of that, you've got increased um, access to parents around the risks mm. of injury and stuff like that. So, it's, you know, for me as a parent, now I'm more aware of the, the, the implications of concussion. That yeah. rugby can have on my child, so I'm, um, you know, in the my back in my mind, I'm like, I was, I grew up as a rugby player, and I played, and made it, I had a great life out of it. But do I want necessarily want to see my son have to go through that? And, um, yeah. you know, um, is a is a big question. In the islands, they don't have that. That's not a that's not a consideration at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um it's still a very physical physical game. Um, you know, I saw a video on YouTube the other day. I shared on I shared it on Twitter. Of uh, you know a game of five and six year olds and they were smashing at each other and they were playing on a pitch that had a road going through it you know I had a creek going through yeah. yeah. jumping over through rocks and you know head high tackling each other and that, yeah. out of that resilience um, come you know it's um, I think that's it's not just an Australian problem it's it's a it's a, it's a first world uh, issue that we've got and I include myself in that is that you know we um, you know, um, the generation, even our generation, Matt. You know, have have grown up with a certain amount. You know, and and you and you look around now. I, I question, I question, and again, I'm going to be controversial here, but I question. You know, would the generation or the two generations before us have gone through, been locking locking down like we have the world around for uh, you know, for for influenza or you know, or mm-hmm. dinghy fever or any of the the pandemics that have gone 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 through, um, you know. Um, my my worry is is that you know, um, and and you know is that we are you know we are basically you know we, and we talk a lot about it. We say you know rugby's going soft, but we are you know we've got to, we've got to look we've got to look at ourselves and actually. And I think there's a, there's a real lack of um, resilience mm. um, in our in our cultures at the moment. And the Pacific Islands will benefit off that. Matt, yeah. there's no there's no doubt about that. You know, countries like Fiji now. The reason why the top three players in the world are probably Fijian players at the, at the moment now, because mm. they've, they've grown up on the you know they've grown up in hard some hard hard places, and been to harder places than uh, anywhere you'll go into a, on a rugby field, and um, you know and that's traditionally what um, what the Wallabies you know what the Wallabies and the Australia and the, and the strong New Zealand teams have um, have dwelled on you know those players that have come through and I think back to when I grew up in New Zealand you know you know, tough toughened farmers toughened you know people and and the, the the maori and pacific islands that were coming through you know but um you know guys like richard low you know you you, you those, those kind of players are like i'm not saying we need to go back to that and i'm not saying mm. that we we ignore um uh you know the concussion and the dementia um signs that are in front of us but i think it's just a reality uh, of 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 life yeah. um is that is that you know um tough tough conditions in tough situations um, breed breed tough people, and I well, think, think maybe like, maybe 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 us in our, in our first world comfort we've got a little <laughs> bit too soft to be able to breed the the top uh, you know the top rugby players. It's a tough game, and it always will be a tough game. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, look I, 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 look, I think there's a lot of points in there. I, I one thing that certainly struck me, chatting to guys like yourself who've gone through that that journey in the last 20, 25 years is is it was the last sort of the last vestiges of amateur amateurism so guys who were coming up working a working a day job and then putting their body on the line and going through pain and then fronting up on Monday and going to a job and and that slowly changed now so that you do have players who in some cases have almost been professional since they were 15 16 and they haven't they haven't tasted the sort of um, the hardships that come from not having you know dietitians hundred physios everywhere you know people putting their kit together and you know all those things that you took for granted when you're you're an amateur and obviously there's still the amateur game and we have that but no I think there is there's certainly you know I don't want to sort of call players prima donnas because I think some of them have to we I think as fans we totally we, we judge players so harshly now because we have access to them at all um at the end of the day. and so you don't want to take away from the 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 effort it takes to be a professional sports person yeah. and especially a rugby player but there is this sort of looking back and thinking, my God, you know, the, the, the hardiness of that journey before professionalism did in some way create, you know, tough players. And you're right, the, the kid, you know, I, I think I've, I listened to someone talking about the, the training that the Fiji team were doing during lockdown. And it was about, um, you know, he was just saying how if players couldn't get a ball, they'll get a coconut, you know, and they'll throw it. And it was like, that was hilarious. But I just think, God, in Australia, if someone can't get a ball, they'll bitch and moan and complain where's my ball where's you know this they won't and you know i i can totally see you know i'm pretty worried as an australian looking ahead to france 2023 because we've got fiji in the pool game and i reckon well they almost surprised us at the last world cup but i think they are really going to um put us put us on the ropes in in that in that pool game especially with two years of of the draw having as a lead into that tournament and and but you're right i think The way we're brought up and the way we're players bringing up is, you know, is also going to be a factor. Uh, Whether it's the major factor, it's certainly going to have an impact. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're you're right, man. It's definitely a challenge for me, you know, with raising raising kids. Um, Because you want, you know, as a father uh, and as a parent, you want you want your kids to have the best, Mm. and you want them to you want them to have an easy life. You want them to not have to go through what you went through. Yep. Basically, as, as a child, but sometimes yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking this from a high horse at all. At all, you know, I've mm. got lots of les- lessons to learn around this, and I'm trying to navigate this world as much as everybody else out there. But you know, how much is you know how much. Of it is is going to be beneficial for my kids, and how much do I need to hold back and actually yeah. allow them to make those mistakes and actually, or you know, um, allow them to, to you know to, to have those experiences where they are tough enough. Because ultimately, again, I said it at the start of this pod, and I'll say it again now. You know, rugby is is bigger than a game. Ultimately, we want to be we you know, and this has been the great thing about the sport through history is that, you know, great rugby players are, are good people. You know, good people make good rugby players, and vice versa. And we mm-hmm. want. Whatever we're learning and instilling in us in terms of our values to be able to be applicable to um, to real life. Yeah. So um, you know, that's why it's so important that we need um, this game to be in a strong position where we mm. are still having an impact and you know and developing um, young men. Yep. and women now to you know to be able to you know to have that resilience uh to life so uh um, yeah we've we've got some challenges and uh we've spoken about a few, about a few of them mate but yeah uh, yeah definitely 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 not I've, I've definitely haven't got them all sorted out i'm just voicing my opinions and saying oh, but, what but, but, i think the challenges are and i've got to work on a few of them
0: <laughs> mate i think i think you're very honest about that and i don't think that you know people say stuff especially on social media and i think you know, people are as long as you're honest about things, and if you if you're wrong, you're wrong. And you know, I think that's one of the things that certainly sets people like you apart is that you you do, you do sometimes say things, and then you'll go, oh, actually no, I'm, I stand corrected because someone else has contacted me. And I think that's you, you have to be open and transparent. Otherwise, you just yeah, you know, you you create these sort of warring factions that don't communicate, and that's what we don't want. Is, um, yeah, not, right and, and we don't want people not saying anything. We don't want people to say silent. One thing I did want to ask you, because I made a note of it, and you'd made a comment after the um, uh, the, the, the teams had been announced about your concern that you, there isn't a legally binding um, clause around the the makeup of that Moana Pacifica team being eighty uh, percent of players who are eligible for Samoa or Tonga. Is that something that, because I know there's been a bit that's been said in the last week and I think the the CEO has come out and, and obviously he's doubled down and said that they're going to um, try and do that. Is that something that you think w- will get sorted um, in time? Because my personal opinion is if if it's so obvious that New Zealand have, have just got a sixth team to develop, there'll be such an outcry and presumably there'll be a lot of players and members of your your group and others who will who will push against that.
1: Yeah, we've definitely got our eyes on it. Uh, Mm. We're watching that situation very closely. We can't allow this to just, you know, and and even within that that 20-80 ratio of Mm. players that are eligible, you know, within that, you'd you'd imagine there'll be a whole lot of players who are undecided when they they get contracted, you know. They might be eligible for two or three nations. What's to stop them from, you know, you know, after they've signed for one or Pacifica, deciding to go with one or the other. So we need some certainties around around that. Um, mm. Definitely. Um, for me, um, you know, otherwise the, the, the much cheaper exercise, if, if that's not going to be put into place, is just to make the current five teams um, open up three or four positions in each side uh, to Pacific Island players. Mm. There'll be a lot. There'll be a lot. You know, a lot more simple option than rather than starting a whole entity that's going to have effectively the same uh you know the same consequences so yeah there's there's still lots of questions around that my um my fears around the proximity of the new zealand rugby players association and the fact that mm. the general manager of Moana Pasifika, i' voiced that on the uh, social media but it's still very strong you know um for me those that, that's clear-cut you know the new zealand rugby players association is uh their mandate is to uh, advance the uh, you know the conditions and uh, opportunities for New Zealand rugby players. Yeah. So while we've got one of their employees now as the general manager of Moana Pacifica, while mm. we've got two new NZRP, uh, NZR NZR uh, board members on the board of NZ um, of Moana Pacifica, those things for me just don't make sense. So yeah. the more the more questions, the more people we've got voicing those concerns and asking those questions, uh, particularly to groups like World Rugby. You know at the end of the day they've again you know New Zealand rugby union is their business and their, their their job is to advance New Zealand rugby but if world rugby uh is the as the IRB is the international um um governing body are going to come in to invest into that and say that this investment is for the advancement of the Pacific Islands, then they've got to be very careful and, and 100% sure that that is exactly where that investment is going. So um, for me, there's, there's no certainties around that. So that's why we we'll are continue asking the questions and uh, yeah. we will we'll continue to monitor that
0: uh, situation. Yeah, because one thing that stood out to me when I was just looking at this was that um, the, the coach of the, the team last year, when they put it together for a couple, I think it was just the one in, exhibition batch, but the coach of minor Pacifica was, was Tunga Umunga, whose brother, Mike is also involved in your organization. So again, I just sort of assume that there's a number of people who are, you know, the the minute they get a whiff that this is, that there's a, there's a rat, surely there's enough players that'll all jump, come down and, and players with influential, with influence who can come and sort of address that and say, Hey, this is not what this team was set up to do.
1: Yeah, and and that's where it's tough. That's where we've got to continue to push the the cultural boundaries. Yeah. Because a lot of those, a lot of those senior, um, high profile players that have gone on board to really advocate for the minor Pacifica, mm. uh, some of our some of those those people that we really respect, my generation yeah. and everybody really respects. And um we've still got to be willing to to question those people. Yeah. Yeah. Um and lay and lay that aside. And it's not out of um Disloyalty or disrespect to them that we ask these questions, but for yeah. the for the for the good of of the ne- of of the entire next generation, because that's what's at stake here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so my yeah again, my concern is that you know New Zealand rugby, they know that they know that we uh, they know the hierarchy of the Pacific. We, you know they they're being very close. You know they're our closest neighbours, and um they've you know they've they're, they're very uh, aware of how to to manipulate. Uh, pacific island populations, so we've got to make sure that uh, they're not allowed to do that again i might be being a bit skeptical here but um that's just from speaking from uh, experience um, and hopefully i'm hopefully i'm totally wrong and i'm just being you know um, a conspiracy theorist and it all and I'm gl- i'll gladly accept uh that i've made a mistake if that is the case um but yeah we've got to go in with our eyes wide open and be willing to look um uh you know, really carefully at every single situation that arises with this because ultimately we've got one shot at this. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been we've been waiting for this for this scenario for 20 or 25 years since rugby went professional for Pacific Island uh, uh super rugby team or professional pathway. And if we get it wrong, mm. um, you know, world rugby will be able to turn around and say, oh look, we tried, but we failed, you know, but at least we tried. So, you know. So we don't want to give them that excuse. We don't want to give anybody that excuse because we haven't asked or been cautious enough at the start. We've got to be we've got to go in and be and, and you know, don't leave any stone unturned. Um, and yeah, and then we've got the, the highest chance of getting the outcome that we that we need to to result from that. But we don't want to be saying, "Oh, what if in, in ten or fifteen years' mm. time, uh, it'll be too late by then, and, and we might not ever get this chance again," yeah. um, which would be a,
0: a travesty, really. Well, one thing I can really suggest, suggest. One thing I would just air is from my personally like straight away for me, I would want to see minor Pacifica beat any of the Kiwi teams as an Aussie. So, you know, I think that's sort of what should be factored in is to market this team, obviously as a team that, you know, you have your, my, my team's the Western force. So I grew up in Perth, but you know, you're going to have a second team you're going to root for. And that, that could translate into, you know, tickets to go to see a match, merchandise, all that sort of stuff. And I, I hope that that might be something that they consider is that in the marketing of this team, Right now it's an underdog. Well, people love underdogs. So, you know, I I hope that that sort of somehow they they realise a way to commercialise that. Because I think there's going to be a lot of people, not just in Australia, but fans in the UK, US, who aren't from the Pacific Islands, who will get behind these teams and want to see them come up on top. And, you know, hopefully that's sort of, you know, that's something that they can realise to hopefully help help prop them up prop up the organisation.
1: Definitely, definitely And that's that's again one of those unanswered questions that we have at the moment. How you know we're around, you know something like merchandise, how much of those, you know, of that's going to go back into the mm. development of the Pacific Island rugby unions, you know, Samoa and Tonga? Um mm. if, if anything, is it just going to stay, you know, is it just going to be um, you know, um the honeypot going to stay in, in new zealand or is that going to filter through to to the development of our of our of our pathways to, as you said earlier you know to be able to develop that next um you know that next generation of players to come up and and fill that team mm-hmm. um so yeah still still a lot of uncertainties matt but um hopefully we get
0: some assurances um in the near near future yeah. mate look i'll round this off i, I want to I, and we've touched on it before but um Obviously, and I and I feel funny because you know, my I've made a rugby documentary as well. I think the trials and tribulations of, of the wallabies is pales in comparison to the the themes that you've you've looked at in in your in your documentary. Because let's face it, we're we're a tier one country, we had everything going for us, we were world champions twice, and then it sort of all kind of just has gone crumbling down. So, you know, that's obviously the context of what I've looked at. But you know, having played with the Reds, having played in Australia and played at the highest level. And been part of a team that was certainly, um, you know, you know, had great, great victory against us, and I think has part of that that was part of the decline for us in that period. You know, what is your general take on what you think's happened to Australian rugby in the last sort of 20, 25 years?
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's a good. I mean, I've, I've probably answered that a little bit in my in some some of my other comments, but um, I just think it's. Uh, I went back to my local grassroots uh, club Sunnybank this uh, this weekend I hadn't been back there for 6 or 7 years um, and in terms of the infrastructure you know the, the building um you know it was amazing you know they've got a first class gym now uh, going back there um they've got they're in a r- really strong financial position they've got uh, you know a, a massive pokies area community game, uh, gaming and you know uh, casino that basically you know uh, the lotteries commission funds the whole rugby program um but I just yeah, but 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 I, I I did struggle a little bit with with the connection side of things. Mm. Um, going back there, I just just felt yeah, it was um, the, the soul. You know, it was there was a lot of the flashy stuff there, mm. um, but uh, um, the soul was 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 uh, probably not missing, but just uh, wasn't what it had been when I'd been there 15 years ago. And it's very difficult to come back when you when you're not in that environment and p- pick that up when you're not their day-to-day um but in terms of in terms of 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 rugby you know just in in, here in queensland they just haven't been able to tap into 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 our communities strongly enough yet i don't i don't think um you know and when i say our communities i'm talking about not just the pacific island communities i'm Mm. talking about the work the working class uh you know the everyday um uh, you know, uh, punters, communities. And that's what Rugby League does does very strongly, um, you know, and in, in, in AFL to a certain extent, you know, um, rugby's still seen as uh, very elitist. And that's where it does cross over, you know, a lot of the issues that we we talk about in uh, Oceans Apart does probably cross over with uh, a lot of, you know, the film that you've made on Australian rugby is that um, we need to shake that elitist um, tag that we've got. Um, because it's not reflective, really, of the people that play the game. I don't think because all play the game, you know, at the top level. Because you look at the the Wallabies now, how many of those guys in, or even in England rugby now, even England rugby have made, managed to, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, Alice Genge and um, uh, etc. You, know, um, you know, haven't come through um, the you know private schools, and that's the same here. Same here in Australia, but um, we've still got that. We've still got that tag. So we need we need to shake that. Um, You know how that that's probably easier easier said than done. Um, You know probably starts at school level or even or even even below that. You know maybe even put into primary schools. I don't know how much uh, rugby union is accessible to uh, to uh, you know to people to 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 public schools and state schools at primary at primary school level.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, but yeah, but that's and again that's the big advantage that the Pacific Islands has got is there's, there's not that competition. And for me, is we've got to we've got to constantly look at that product. We've got to look, look at you know how that um, you know how that you know because it's 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 easy to to ignore you know and say look we're not we don't want to look at the other the other codes mm. and what they're doing. But I think we need to be able to look at them and, and pick up what they're doing well, and um, you know really getting out into the rural communities. You know, you know, and 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 particularly those, you know, those possibly those underprivileged communities. You know, you know, we term them in the working class. Until we until we infiltrate those, you know, the you know the common class of people here in Australia, it's always just going to be seen as you know that you know that posh sport that you know that that people play when if they you know if they if they're too big or if they're not not good enough at rugby league. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's going to be a difficult, difficult one to shake. Um, um,
0: yeah, but, um, I think one of the, one of the interesting, one of the things I've sort of seen with the business of rugby in, in Australia is the, the complexity around having a federal, a federated system where you've got a, 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 a rugby union uh, run by rugby Australia, but then they have to work with so many different stakeholders. So. You know, yeah. to get programs in regional areas, they obviously have to go through the member, the state unions to to work with them on what they're doing and to get the schools to change their seasons, to maybe accommodate more games for new schools, to play all these sorts of things. It's very hard. and It takes a lot of time. And that's certainly, as opposed to AFL, who can, they pretty much run yeah. the game in the country and they can, they can yeah. send coaches to, to do clinics and developments anywhere at any time. And they can kind of also tell the state unions what to do. Um, when yeah. it when it comes down to it, and that certainly hasn't helped.
1: Yeah, and 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 also maybe you know I, I think it's some you know maybe another um, you know point that probably transcends is actually looking after the, the states and the clubs that are actually mm-hmm. doing well, and 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 allowing them to flourish and do what they do naturally. Mm-hmm. You know I think um, a lot of the time we try and extend overextend ourselves as unions to try and reach out and extend the game and then we do we do a lot poorly as opposed yeah. to doing a small amount really well and maybe we just need to, to to extend that you know i mean look look at the state of the waratahs now mm. you know um you know and and that's been a traditional stronghold of uh, of australian rugby and you know um you know because you know a, a weak waratahs isn't going to inspire anyone in those in those sydney regions you know no. to to want to play to want to want to come play rugby play rugby union Unfortunately, with pro- professionalism, everyone backs a winner. You know, and yeah. success has become the the major the major factor in inspiring inspiring people. You know, and kids these days. You know, um, it's similar. You know, like I've seen as. You know, it's uh, but you know, it's great to see some. You know, kids around here in Queensland saying to red w- wear reds jerseys again. but That's only because I've done well this year. No one yeah. was wearing reds jerseys two years ago. You know, or yeah. three years yeah. ago. Um, so, unfortunately, that's, and, and maybe that's something that we've got to look at ourselves as a culture. And obviously, yeah, mm. you know, um, profession, you know, winning is important, but it's, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more at the game, stake in the game in mm. terms of participation and what we're looking to get out of it, as opposed to just, you know, success, you know, winning or losing. And maybe yeah. we need to, you know, we need to, re, again, we need to strengthen rugby's roots and it comes back to those values you know because people will play will come being attracted to to a game particularly at amateur level because of the values because of mateship all of that, all those important factors mm-hmm. um you know that um you know that we that we as a sport can provide yeah um, yeah you know and if they if they're not getting it from rugby they'll go and get it from somewhere else um, that's that's the, that's the difficulty that we've got um but um you know i've got every confidence that australia can can get back to it um and yeah um you know um you know it's it's gonna it's gonna take a bit of time and hard work but we just you know the, the the talents there similar to the pacific islands the yeah. talents there and the um you know and the you know you've got some you've got some fantastic young players coming through it's just about giving those you know those players an opportunity and being able to retain them because mm. uh you know um similar to the Pacific Islands Australia, as I said earlier, Australia is not far off from experiencing some of the player drain, if not, if not, it's already happening. You know, it's, a, it's mm. countries like Japan, where I see a lot of young players starting to go to now for professional opportunities. And, you know, it's about trying to keep those players in the system. So, yeah, um, but there's no easy answers, mate. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's,
0: it's really, really tough. Yeah no mate, you, you, I think you summed it up and certainly yeah we we've dra- played drain in Australia uh, again. piles in comparison to what's been going on in the Pacific Islands since since day one of professionalism. But look mate, I I think mate might wrap it up there and I know we could probably go on, but I I want to thank you once again for giving me your time and certainly all your all your you know as I said you're you're very honest with your opinions and but obviously <laughs> not just your opinions, you you know you're informed opinions of, based on your your experiences. And, and, mate, I wish you well with all the things moving forward. Can I ask, lastly, do you, do you have, would you ever see yourself – obviously, you need more representation of Pacific Islanders in administrative roles. Would you ever see yourself moving into the sort of sports administrative role? Oh, jeez.
1: I'll tell you what, I'm probably too opinionated uh, <laughs> at the moment, uh, Matt, for that. I just – you know, I'm probably, as you said, you know, I just – speak, you know, call it as I see it. Yeah. Um, I'll probably have to change there, you know, and be a bit more uh, diplomatic. Um, but maybe one day, who knows what's in the future, you know. My, my passion is, i uh, just probably speak from my experience. It's not from mm. any education or anything. Um, but um, no, I'm definitely happy with where I'm at at the moment, and um, you know I've got a meaningful job at the moment, uh, mm. working in player welfare and also you know in, in the disability sector here, as I said earlier. So you no, know, I can't can't see that happening to me. You know, i will be too stressed, and also, but, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure um, as yeah. well uh, for, for, for people in those roles. I'd love to go back and give um, give something back to Samoan rugby um, one day, um, or you know. Possibly, but um, yeah, I, uh, as, as outspoken as I am at the moment, uh, that's probably I'm probably one of the most unlikely people to ever be working for the Samoan Rugby Union or, or World Rugby. So, uh, uh, but I'm happy with where I'm at. So, mate, I think <laughs> the, journey, just...
0: the, the journey of the chapters is still being written in in the in the story. I think of, of your career. So, <laughs> mate, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next.
1: Cheers, pal, yeah. mate. Pleasure. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. And uh, yeah. Um, um, mate, uh, it's an honour to be able to speak on this, and uh, yeah, I look forward to being in touch with you with uh, other projects in the future yeah, as well, mate. bro. I would
0: love to. Oh, it sounds good. Yeah. All
1: right, thanks, thanks Dan. for another call. Cheers, bro. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Take care.
0: This is the Gold Digger podcast series, a spin-off from the new feature documentary film Gold Digger: The Search for Australian Rugby, which will be coming out very soon. Brought to you by me director and host, Matt Durran. And sponsored by whoever wants to reach out and pay me to have their name up in lights. Music is by Makeup and Vanity Set, sourced from musicbed.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash golddiggerrugby. Follow us on Instagram for pretty pictures and Twitter for banal chatter. Till next time, keep on digging.